All right, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good, good. It's good to see everybody and all your smiling faces. And uh, I hope the kids on the front row are not out worshiping y'all. Okay, I don't know if you see them up here, but they're, uh, I hear them singing, I hear them clapping uh, and entering in. So I'm really blessed by that. Um, and how many have been blessed by kind of this season? We're kind of coming into Easter, and this is kind of like the Super Bowl for Christianity, for the churches, and this is what it's all about. And so we've been uh, in this series, and we're following the road to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the title of our series is called Greater Love. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. And so the series takes a look at the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry, and how he demonstrated his greater love for us through his, of course, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So in a moment, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 47. So if you have your Bible, if you have your device, go ahead and open that up and get that ready. Um, and let me, as you do that, let me recap our journey so far. So last week we did a message on Palm Sunday, just to get ahead of the story uh, and that would bring us to Palm Sunday today, as Jackie has already mentioned. But we're following the road to the cross and to the burial, again, to the resurrection. We began last week's message with a picture, which I uh, took during my uh, trip to Israel. Uh, this was last February. Uh, that is the ancient city. Um, I was blessed to be able to go. Um, and that is uh, the, what they call the city of David. It is the ancient city. That city has been functioning uh, since ever since. Say since ever since. Okay, you guys can use that um, if you're describing something. I took this picture from the Mount of Olives, which is where the triumphal, the triumphal entry would have uh, started. So last week as we went through the message... We talked about how Jesus came. If you were to see the landscape, uh, the Mount of Olives is the final kind of mountain range, not mountain range because they're not really mountains, but they're uh, big hills, and that would be the final place. And if you remember during the, uh, the triumphal entry, Jesus sent two disciples to go get a donkey, right? Jesus told them, go carjack that donkey and bring it to me. And so he entered in to that city. And so um, if you remember the story, um, this is something they only did for New Testament kings. Uh, they laid down their cloaks. Uh, they laid down palm branches, which is why they call it Palm Sunday. And Jesus entered. And they had a few things to say. They said, Hosanna, which means come and save or save me. And so they were telling Jesus as they recognized him because he had gained popularity all throughout his ministry. People knew about him. They heard about him. He was doing miracles. And all of a sudden, they're going, there might be something to this guy. And so they're saying, uh, you know, Hosanna, you know, King, they're honoring him. But as we learned last week, there was some misunderstanding to Jesus' ministry. And there was also some misunderstanding to what they were saying about Jesus as they were saying, Hosanna, come and save. As they were saying, our King, enter. What they were really saying was a political king, enter. A, a military uh, king or a military deliverer enter because we want you to save us not from our sin but from Roman oppression 
Now, before we go and blame the Jewish people, just keep in mind that this has a lot of similarity to our current climate that we live in. How many have ever been guilty, you don't have to raise your hand, of using Jesus to strengthen a political point that you had? You know what I'm talking about. How many used Jesus to bolster an opinion that you had? And so I believe that there is some truth to some of those things, but the whole point was this last week, that Jesus didn't come for that. And if you make it that, you have missed it. And I'm not to say that one is wrong or one is right. Just hear what we're saying about Jesus. He said, I'm coming to save you from your sin. That's what you needed the most. And so as Jesus made his way through, Hosanna, King, come and save. Even the people who were celebrating him had it wrong. They had a different idea. And so Jesus is not a political messiah. The crowds tried to make him that. And sometimes we can approach Jesus and make him the Messiah that we want him to be for us. And so we need to be careful of that. So that was last week's message. I'm not going to re-preach it. I hope that you guys got that. So that would have been Sunday, Palm Sunday, which would have been today. And then by Monday, let me go through the story just a little bit to get us caught up to where we are. Um, But by Monday, Jesus would uh, cleanse the temple. Remember, we talked about that we're the temple of God and that Jesus came not just to inspect but to clean this temple. Somebody say amen. That was a good opportunity to say amen. I set you up and y'all missed it. Amen. There you go. Look at that. That's, that's it. But from here, things would get more tense. Things would get more chaotic. As the story continues, by Tuesday, Judas one of the 12 disciples would be secretly striking a deal with the Sanhedrin to have Jesus arrested. This is like movie material. Um, Moving on, uh, there wasn't a whole lot that was mentioned or or said about what would be Wednesday. Um, And by the way, scholars are still kind of, you know, uh, going back and forth as to the accuracy of these days. But generally speaking, uh, just follow along with the story with me. So by Thursday... Jesus would observe the Passover meal with his disciples in what we commonly refer to as the Last Supper. And I want to show you another picture. Right here is the, this is the um, tomb of King David. Um, And so we were able to go there. Um, In this vicinity, in this building, uh, up at the top, is where uh, another, this event that we're talking, starting to talk about took place. So let's go to the next picture. This may look familiar to you. Part, I was looking kind of tired. I know, I know. But you got to understand, we were up at 7 a.m. every morning, and we were having dinner by 8, and then we were in bed, and we had to do that for nine days, okay? So it was a free trip, so I wanted to stay with the program, okay? And so, but I don't know if you um, are catching the, the background, but... Does that look a little bit familiar to you? You see this in pictures. And the reason why I chose this picture with my mug on it is so that you can believe that I was actually there. Because you don't know, I could just pull it off Google and say, yeah, I was here. And, you know, people might do that. But, but that's actually me. Um, that was a selfie. We were taking selfies because the moment you ask somebody to take a picture, you get a line. And so somebody would say, hey, can you take a picture of me? And I go, nope. 
<laughs> because then you're there for 20 minutes and people are trying to get their shot of the, of the historic place. The other incredible thing is that um, when we went in February, Israel had only opened up their, um, uh, they allowed visitors two weeks before we went. So there were no groups going. Normally there'd be hundreds of people in this room and we had it all to ourselves, me and a few other pastors. So we had a worship session in there. We had, I mean, it was just an incredible, incredible time. But this is where um, two things took place. One is the Last Supper, where Jesus had his last meal with his disciples. The other one was Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, if you remember that. So very, very, um, uh, a real dramatic moment for me. And then go to the next picture. And this is the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, these olive trees are said to be about 2,000 years old. So some of these possibly could have been when, when Jesus was there. Uh, so it's just an amazing place. But from the upper room where Jesus had uh, the Last Supper with the disciples, from there they would walk. All this was in, all within walking distance. They would leave the upper room. Uh, there was a, the exit way that we, we went, and we kind of followed that path. And we went here to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and this is where our story here picks up. Okay, so you guys still with me? So, now, continuing the story, you know that along the way, starting from here, there were a few people who betrayed Jesus, starting with Judas, who during the Last Supper, the Bible says that he slipped away. As they were eating, they slipped away. And this was so kind of incognito. When Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me, even the disciples were going, who, who, me? Jesus, is it me? Who is it? And so this is all transpiring from that room, and then we get here. So we're going to read in Matthew chapter 26. Uh, as you're uh, turning there, we're going to talk about three things. Uh, and as I'm going to make my points and read the verses. Rather than reading a big chunk of the verses, I'm just going to chop it up and read it to you as I make my points, okay? But we're going to talk about a loving response to a betrayer. We're going to talk about a patient teaching to a friend. And then we're going to talk about a stern warning to the crowd. <clears throat> so these are responses that Jesus gave. And as we go through this, I guarantee you there's going to be some learning opportunities for us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, guide us as we dig into your word. Father, and as we walk along the path that you walked along, uh, Lord, I pray that the word would not just uh, make an impact here uh, in our minds and our hearts, but I pray your word would make an impact in our life. Father, that when we leave here and we walk out those doors, Lord, we have been uh, touched and changed by your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? First point, a loving response to his betrayer. Now, this is only a, a limited number of betrayers here. I'm only choosing one. There was a lot more. Maybe we'll touch on them. But verse 47 of Matthew 26 says this. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at, 
once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. And then they came up and they laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. It's not the kind of laying on hands that we want to receive today. It was a different kind of laying on hands. And so from the get-go, you might notice that there is something wrong with this picture. Uh, Jesus picks up on it right away. Uh, and so I want to just pick a couple of words out and then just kind of dig into it just a little bit. But if you notice, it says Judas, one of the 12. Judas, one of the 12. This is the author's way of showing the relational nearness that Judas had with Jesus. What the author was saying was, this was an insider. He was one of the crew. He was one of the OGs, one of the originals. He was in there, one of the 12. He was someone who was close. And so everything that happened here, as we know, being on this side of the story, is that it was an inside job. You ever watch one of those movies where you're trying to figure out who the bad cop is because you know it's an inside job? My wife hates watching movies with me because I'm already like, Tim. She's like, would you stop? And I'm like, you don't want to know what's going to happen next? He's going to die. There's going to be a shootout. She's like, would you be quiet? My wife doesn't let us say shut up in the house. It's like a bad word to her, so I can't, you know, she doesn't do that. But it was an inside job. Psalm 41 verse 9 says this, even my close friend has lifted his heel against me. And this is what was happening with Jesus as, as, um, as uh, Judas is, is planning all of this, all for 30 pieces of silver. Something else I want to zone in on. He says, greetings, rabbi. Now, if you look in the ESV version, it shows an exclamation point. If you were to look at the original word of greetings, it wasn't like a, hi, how you been? Like, you know, hey, we, you know, we, we see each other here on, on Sunday. It was a greeting. It was like a hello towards somebody you haven't seen in years. Like, say, maybe you're going to pick them up at the airport. They come out the gate, and you're like, hey, or greetings, which we would never say in our culture. You would be weird. If you said, greetings to me, I'd go. <laughs> but that's the way Judas was ask, uh, acting towards Jesus. Greetings, rabbi. These are two words that would probably have stung Jesus. Now, a couple of things. The original word greetings is like a very heavy, serious hello. You can already tell he's being very fake, very obvious, very flagrant in his approach. But the other thing is rabbi. He says, greetings, rabbi. To Jesus, he says, greetings, teacher. Jesus is probably going, I thought we were closer than that. I'm teacher to you. Of all the things he's learned and of all, all the parables and all the secrets that, and all the times they were sitting down together and, and, and eating and all the, you know, all the trips that Jesus took and brought the disciples with them. Jesus is going, I thought we were on another level. But okay, I'll be rabbi. 
if that's who you want me to be. He wasn't Lord, which is who Jesus wants to be with us. That word Lord is very on purpose. It means master. It means boss. I like, the, I like uh, in Spanish, when you say, uh, in Spanish you call God Señor. It's like, sir. And so here, Judas, and matter of fact, if you were to look at all the Gospels, never in one spot would you find Judas calling Jesus Lord. Never did he settle in his heart that this is my ultimate boss. So now you may not be surprised why Judas can do such a thing as betray Jesus because he was never where Jesus wanted him to be. Anyway, and let me just encourage you, as you follow God, that is one of the key things that's going to get you past some of the challenges that you're going to face because Jesus calls us to follow him, not just uh, as him being our savior, but him being our Lord. Because there's going to be times where we don't know what to do. And even when it seems wrong and God says, this is what I want you to do, you just do it and you trust him. In the military, when you get a command, when you're given a command, it's obey now, ask questions later. But that's not what we do. Jesus, why? Jesus, just tell me when it's going to happen. Right? Why am I going through this? God, just teach me my lesson now. Right? You guys ever been through that? Or just me? Okay, just making sure. But Judas was drawing the line by saying, teacher. You ever listen to the, uh, the, the Bible versions where they, they actually have actors doing the voice parts? And they say, teacher, tell me who hit you. You know, they, these funny, anyway, I won't do that. Teacher, but not Lord. Teacher, but not boss. Teacher, but not brother. And it says he kissed him, which was also strange because if you look at the original word, it wasn't just, you think, you know, you know a kiss like a peck on the cheek, right? And in that culture, that's, that's normal. They, they, you know, kiss, right? This type of kiss was uh, to kiss over and over. So, I don't know. For me, what comes to mind is, you know, Europeans, like, you know, maybe it was your French people, you know, this was what Judas was doing to Jesus. It's like, yo, didn't we just see each other? Because he was setting him up. Another crazy thing that comes to mind as I'm reading this story, it says that they came... It says that they came with swords and clubs. Okay, think of this. Swords and clubs. You're thinking gangsters, right? But then it says, from chief priests and elders. I don't know about you, but I don't roll like that. I don't got clubs in my car. I don't, you know what I'm saying? So this whole story is already like, just strange. But I don't know if you can relate. Sometimes we can do the right things on the outside. We can say the right things. We can act the part. We can play the part. But somehow on the inside, there's a war going on. And usually that war starts with Jesus. Am I going to follow you 100% or not? 
Not am I going to do this or commit this or not, none of that. The real battle is if we surrender to God the way we say we will. When When we raise our hand and say, yes, I want to receive you, Jesus. The Bible says count the cost. Count the cost. You might be moved in a moment emotionally torn, hear a great song, Leah's leading, and all of a sudden you're touched, and you're like, yes, God, I want to follow you, and God's going, he's going, do you even realize what this means? I'm not talking about a Sunday moment. I'm talking about your life, and if Jesus gave his, we should be able to give ours. Just saying, just saying. So outwardly, Judas kisses, yet inwardly, there's a war going on. With him, I can imagine all the things. Not only is he not following him, but he's thinking about how he can capitalize on the moment. He's probably feeling terrible about it. The Bible does talk about how he tried to kind of go back and, and fix things, and it just it just wasn't happening. He straight up betrays Jesus, but look at how Jesus responds, and it can be summed up in one word. He says, "Friend." Here's Judas who betrays him. It's obvious Jesus knew he was going to betray him. He said, tonight one of you will betray me. Judas shows up, kisses him, and he says, friend. This was like a last opportunity for him to get it right. It's like a last, like a final chance. He says, friend, Do what you're going to do because he already knew what was going on. Second response I'm going to take a look at is a patient teaching for his friend. If we continue on in verse 51, it says, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear, if you were to go to the other Gospels, we know that it's Peter. There's something about Peter that we just loved, isn't it? It's like Peter, Peter. Anyway, he cuts off his ear. Now, if I remember correctly, Peter was not a fencer. He was not a martial artist who practiced with swords and weapons. And so it doesn't surprise me that he cut off his ear because he was going for his head. And he missed, and he got in here. Then verse 52, then Jesus said to him, put your sword back. Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will uh, perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and at once he'll send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so. Like I said, we just adore Peter, don't we? Peter was the ready, fire, aim guy. He didn't think. He just saw something that he wanted. He would answer out of line. You ever seen, you, know, you ever been in class um, and the smart kids and the teacher will go, who knows the answer to numbers? And the kid's going, mm, like they know, right? That was Peter. Jesus would say, who do you say that? You are the Lord, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the man. You're right, Peter, but that wasn't your revelation. So this is Peter. He had good motives. 
after all, the crowd came with weapons. You know, you go to worship at a, at a temple and that person comes back with a weapon. Kind of crazy. And so Peter's thinking, they're coming after my Lord. And Peter's probably manning up saying, not on my watch. Now, to me, there's not much wrong with that. You're trying to protect somebody you love, right? And so there's really no other way. And so Peter, of course, overreacts like he always does. If I was one of the disciples, I'd go, dang, Peter. <laughs> you didn't have to cut off his ear. Like, you know. But that's what Peter did. And so we love his passion. But the thing about Peter is he wasn't a good listener. Because if you were to go back and read the story, many times Jesus said, this is the way it has to happen. There is no other way. Jesus laid the plan out. You know, it's funny how Jesus would speak in parables, right? And all the disciples are going, what did he mean by that? Right? But here he's very plain and simple, very clear. This is the only way that it's going to happen. I'm going to go to a specific place and I'm going to die. Got it? <laughs> what do you think Jesus meant by that? It wasn't a parable. It wasn't a parable. And so Peter just didn't listen. Four times, if you go uh, to chapter 26, Jesus told the disciples, including Peter who was there, that this is the way it's going to happen very specifically. And then it says that Peter took, at one point, took Jesus aside to rebuke him. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus when he says, you know, hey, man, guys, I'm going to go here. They're going to kill me. Uh, and that's what I have to do to make this all work. And Peter's going, Jesus, come here. Come here. Come here. Don't talk like that, Jesus. You don't have to do that, Jesus. And then here's what Jesus said. Here's his response. <laughs> Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. Put your sword back. All of heaven is on my side. I can call them at a moment's notice. During the story when Peter said, Jesus, come here. Let me, let me teach you something. Let me tell you what we should do. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. But in this particular case, Jesus is about to die. And again, he's looking for this final opportunity for somebody who is his friend. Somebody who he's walked with for the last several years. And he's saying, Peter, 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 God's on my side. I got all of heaven. Don't you, don't you realize that? So again, he's, he's teaching him patiently. Don't go there. This is not what we need. Let's try this again, Peter. I've got this, okay? You just have to trust me. Can you relate to that? Jesus is saying, just do it this way. Because I know what I'm doing. I know how I've wired you. I know how I've made you. Matter of fact, I've got all your plans. If you just do it my way, you just have to trust me. And this is what he's telling Peter. I don't know about you. I can learn a lesson from that. I can learn a lesson from that. Just trust me. And then here's the crazier thing. Here are people coming to arrest Jesus. They're not coming to make peace. They're coming to make trouble. Matter of fact, 
um, they say that this was the, the most bogus, you know, because they're going to take Jesus to trial after this. We'll get kind of into this next week. But that trial was the most bogus trial in history. It was so obvious. There were Jewish laws that weren't respected as they, as they brought him in. There had to be time frames for them to bring a complaint, for them to, to consider it. And there's just so much that's out of my league. I'm not smart enough to tell you how, how, how stringent it was. And none of that ever happened. And so Jesus is going to go to trial. And he knows all of this. Peter goes and cuts off this guy's ear. And here's another, I'll save that for the crowd. He cuts off the guy's ear. And the Bible says that Jesus grabs the dude's ear, which is crazy. (laughs) Anybody feeling hungry? (laughs) Hold on, that kind of threw me off. Okay. For those listening to the recording in the future, um, come see me. I'll tell you what the ruckus was all about. He grabs the dude's ear. He picks it up, and he heals the guy. He, he continu- this is Jesus. He continues to heal his enemy. You see the responses that are coming from Jesus? Pretty, pretty out, you know, outrageous, if you ask me. Even while being attacked, he's still healing the wounds of his enemy. And I don't know if you realize that that is just the heart of God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He says, not just love your friend, not just love your neighbor, love your enemy. Jesus, how do you do that? I don't know, just follow him. Just trust me. That's what he's saying. That's the heart of God. And we mess up. We mess things up and Jesus uses it as a teaching opportunity. Even our failures don't go to waste because Jesus can use it as an educational moment. I don't know if you've ever done something crazy and you're going, God, I'll never do that again. He's going, that's right, you won't. And finally, a stern warning to the crowd. Let's talk about this for a little bit. Verse 55, it says, at the hour... Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords and with clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you. I sat in the temples with you. I was teaching. Why not then? Why did you not seize me then? But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Now, we're not even going to talk about that betrayal. It says the disciples who were with him left at that moment. Your boys, your homies, right? The ones who, you know, Jesus, I'll never leave you. You're the Messiah. I'm with you to, to the end, Jesus. And it says they left him. The disciples left. So they say the crowd, again, scholars kind of uh, go back and forth on this one. Uh, They say that at a minimum, there had to be at least 200 people here at this moment. Some scholars say it had to be, uh, it could or it could have been um, 
up to a couple of thousand. So we, we aren't really sure. All we know is it wasn't a small crowd. 200 is not small. Most scholars will tell you, yeah, there were at least that many. And this is who came to subdue Jesus. In the crowd, there were powerful people. There were Roman soldiers. There were political leaders. There were um, uh, legal leaders. In the crowd were the most pious people. It says that there were chief priests in addition to the Roman soldiers and the Roman guards and the Roman leaders. There were chief priests. In the crowd, there were people who were intimate with Jesus. So if you're picking this up, this is a pretty powerful crowd who shows up. And now this is who Jesus has to face. And now we realize that he's doing it alone. So we're talking about the betrayals of Jesus. And so what was the warning here? The warning is this. That no matter who you are, or what your background is, or what your belief system is, God's plans will prevail anyway. And so here's Jesus. Everybody's left him. Here's Jesus among the most powerful people. Here's Jesus who is contrasting who he represents and who they represent, their culture, their religious system, their, and Jesus is standing all alone. And again, he knew this. Nothing was going to stop what God wanted to do. <clears throat> Here's the other thing, that nothing happens without a purpose and without God knowing. At this point, things are pretty chaotic. Things are pretty crazy. But just know this, when it comes to your best, when it comes to your future, God will do whatever he needs to, and he will get it done. Just trust him. Just trust him. So John's account in chapter 18, Jesus asks the crowd, who are you looking for? As if he didn't know. Who are you looking for? And they replied, Jesus. Now check this out. When he said, I am he, he says, I am. Is that familiar to anybody? He says, I am. That is not by accident. That is his way of saying, you're looking not just for the Messiah, but you're looking for the Alpha and the Omega. And I'm here. I am he. The Bible talks about how when he said that, that crowd, whether it was 200 or 2,000, the moment he said, I am he, says they were all knocked on their behinds. The power of the spoken word of God Three words, I am he, is enough to knock them down. I don't know about you, that's the God I serve. Turn to somebody and say, the devil won't mess with me. Some of y'all didn't say it, you better be careful. When God speaks, the enemy will fall at your feet. Because he has authority. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been appointed, has been given to me. Now, 
Mm. Let's go ahead and bring this to a close. All of these thoughts, all these things we're talking about. Jesus is almighty. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And he knows everything. We agree with that? Well, here's the thing. Because if he's that, then he knows what you're going through. He knows what you are going to go through. He knows what you're experiencing. Because he himself went through it. When I was in Israel, um, we had um, scholars with us, guys with PhDs, either in archaeology or history. We had rabbis uh, who we got to glean from culturally and, and really deep. I mean, just the depth of their interpretation of the word was really incredible. So we got to glean some of that. But one thing that they kept pointing to was prophecy. Because to them, they're still waiting on the Messiah. It's crazy how the very thing that connects us, this man named Jesus, is also the very thing that kind of divides us. Um, you know, but be, because there was some uh, political diplomacy going on, you know, the, the attitude was, you know, hey, we want to learn from each other. We want to be friends. Because our spiritual heritage really is in this land. The Bible talks about that. But they would talk about all the, every place we went, they would talk about the prophecy that accompanied it. Many of those prophecies have already been fulfilled. I mean, it's just crazy. And so we're going to read a verse in Isaiah as we close. It's in Isaiah chapter 53. This was written 700 years before this moment that we're talking about. But I want to let you know that he's acquainted with your pain. Jesus is acquainted with your betrayals. He's, he's acquainted with the ones who hurt you. He's acquainted with the ones who, who let you down. He's acquainted with the things that you won't tell anybody else. But the reason why is because he's been there. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now we're talking about the road to the death, the road to the burial, the road to the resurrection. This is what Jesus did. This was his ultimate response to everything that happened and everything that took place. While we like sheep have gone astray, every single one of us have turned, everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet uh, he opened not his mouth. I know I just read that. Uh, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before shears is silent, so he'll be, uh, he opened up not his mouth. Guys, this is the ultimate response of everything that Jesus has gone through. But here's the thing. 
that response is for us. Jesus had us in mind. And that's why he went through this. There was a point that we're going to talk about next week where Jesus said, God, is there any other way that we can do this? Just asking. Because in that moment in his humanity, he was feeling something. He was feeling the absence of God because God and sin cannot come together. And so at that point, Jesus is starting to feel some distance. And at one point, he even says, God, why have you forsaken me? So everything he went through is because he knows what you go through. And he did this for us. He's been through it. He knows what it's like to be despised. Jesus knows what it's like for his voice to not be heard. Jesus knows what it's like to be ignored. He knows what it's like to be abused, mistreated, misunderstood, rejected. Whatever you're going through, he knows. He's been through it, but it was for a purpose. And that purpose was us. That purpose was you and me. So he doesn't just empathize with your pain. He takes it upon himself. He took it upon himself. He was condemned so you and I could be set free. Can we stand to our feet? I just want to pray for you. Thank you, God. Today's moment in worship was so fitting for today. When we just say, man, God, we just love you so much. And we just thank you so much for all you've done. And Jesus, right now, we do that. Right now, just in the quietness of your heart, in the seat where you're sitting, just begin to tell God how much you love him, how thankful for, you, uh, for him you are, how appreciative you are for what he's done in your life and what he's going to do in your life and for allowing us to be condemned so that we could be blessed. Jesus, we thank you. Nobody else could do what you did because nobody else was qualified. And even though uh, in your humanity, even though there were moments you were showing your humanity, Father, you still um, made a way for us. And Jesus, you were obedient all the way to the cross, all the way to your death. But Lord, we thank you. And maybe this is a little premature because we're going to do this next week. But Lord, we thank you, Lord, you are not in the grave. Lord, we thank you that you've resurrected, Father, and you're in power and you rule and you reign uh, over this whole entire world. Uh, and our little lives, Lord, you care about us. In our little lives, Lord, we can live victorious because of what you did. Just give me one more minute. If there's anybody here, we always, always, always want to give an opportunity and you feel like maybe you're not right with God or maybe you're a little bit further than you feel like you should be, uh, we want to pray with you and we're all, we'll all pray together. But if that's you, would you raise your hand? If there, anybody here you feel like, uh, I don't know, I just want to make sure. Is that anybody here? All right, thank you, Lord. We're all family. Lord, thank you for Every Nation Church, Las Vegas. Lord, thank you for every life-giving church in this valley and in our nation. Father, I pray that we as the church would represent you. Father, as if you did everything for us and that we were so grateful that, Father, we can't help but to respond 
uh, Lord, in kind. And Father, you gave your life for us and for those of us here who say that we uh, love you and we follow you and we've given our life for you, Father, I pray that our life would display that. I pray that our lives would demonstrate that as we leave this church today and we go out into the world where church starts tomorrow, not just on Sunday, but real church starts on Monday when we go out. So Lord, just empower us, send your church into this city, Lord, into this world to reach the lost, those who don't know you. Father, and may your name be glorified. We love you. And if you agree, say amen. Amen. Isn't God good? He's amazing.